The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. One more trading session to go in what's been another wild week on Wall Street. Futures right now are flat for now. Apple shares popping after the tech giant beats the street in its latest quarters. Revenues rose 11%. A different direction, though, for Robinhood, the newly minted public brokerage house seeing its stock drop after reporting a decline in active users. It's no secret the Fed is getting ready to raise rates. We'll bring you the inside scoop on one industry racing to get in on the money before it all dries up and rates go higher. And preparing for a weekend nor'easter, tens of millions of people under winter storm watches right now It's Friday, January 28th, 2022, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Friday morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to those markets because stock futures are stable for now. As you can see here, the Dow is implied lower by just 26 points. The S&P higher by one point and the Nasdaq up by about 64. The Dow now is down nine of the last 10 trading sessions. But that doesn't even begin to tell you the story on the wild swings that we've seen. The VIX, the volatility index hitting its highest level since October of 2020. You can see here. Now, on the week, it has traded above 30 in that threshold. You can see right there, which indicates, again, elevated levels of volatility Not like the peaks that we saw during the pandemic lows, however, very elevated given what we've seen over the course of the last year. Now, the Nasdaq and the S&P are both in correction territory. The S&P is 10.2% off of its record high. The Nasdaq, meanwhile, is down nearly 18% from its record high, so flirting with what some traders call bear market territory. It'd have to drop by 20% to get to that mark. Now, the index is on pace for its fifth negative week in a row, which would be its worst run since the fall of 2012. We are also, of course, watching interest rates very, very closely right now. You're seeing a tick higher across the yield curve. The 10-year Treasury note yield, about 1.837%. The two-year note yield, 1.214%. So remember, between these two, that yield curve, again, flattening. The difference between long-term and short-term rates getting narrower and narrower, something I'm sure the Fed is watching right now. Let's go worldwide. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with the latest market action there. Good Friday morning, Rosanna. 
Good Friday morning to you too, Dom. And let's take a look at how things are shaping up. It's been a very negative session, unfortunately, here in Europe. Inheriting a somewhat mixed lead from Asia, but the FTSE 100 now off by around a percent here in London. The CAC 40 in France off by much more. Now, we have had some economic data out of France and Germany and Spain, fourth quarter GDP, and it was Germany that was the standout, negative compared to expectations. There's extra DAX in Germany down one and six tenths of a percent. Let's see what sectors are doing, though, here in Europe, because it's an interesting story compared to what we've seen this week. Banks has been in the positive story all week, now down one and seven tenths of a percent. That's despite that well-telegraphed rate hike. Retail, the sector to watch here in Europe this morning, we've had a lot of strong earnings from companies like H&M, but also LVMH, that luxury provider. However, that would be in household goods. Taking you a little look, though, at these, Henkel AG and Co, that down 8.6%. But as mentioned, H&M on that strong beat in fiscal fourth quarter revenue, the world's second largest fashion retailer, are saying, saying rising raw material and shipping costs have actually been offset by favorable U.S. dollar exchange rates. Now, the Swedish group says next year we'll see more global expansion, up 7.2% or so. And Unicredit, an interesting story today as well. Uh, revenue and profit actually coming in better than expected, despite this Italian lender taking a fourth quarter hit amid CEO Andrea Orsell's restructuring plan. So one to take note of, the CFO just in the last few minutes has come out with comments about share buybacks, saying they will proceed as soon as they get approval to do so. They've also recently uh, dropped plans for a takeover of a Russian bank as well that's based on geopolitical tension. So if you want some interesting stories this morning, do take a look at Unicredit. But that stock down around a percent in the red in Italy. That is a quick snapshot of European markets. Back to you guys. Rosanna Lockwood in London. Thank you very much for that. Now back to the big stock mover of this morning, which is Apple. Those shares are moving higher by 4%. It will drive some of the outperformance perhaps that we'll see in places like the Nasdaq, and it's a Dow component as well. Arjun Karpal covers the tech sector for us from London. Arjun, what should investors take away from last night's report other than that Apple beat on top and bottom lines? Well, if we dig into the numbers, Dom, if we look at products, specifically iPhone, despite those global chip shortage, managed to grow revenues 9%. The iPhone 13, incredibly important, gaining traction across the world, and in particular in China, where Apple become the number one smartphone player in the fourth quarter last year. Services, $19.5 billion in revenue in the quarter, up 24%, key to Apple's future growth and the ability for the company to continue to eke out revenues from its massive install base of iPhone users as well. Finally, the only underperformer there was the iPad, down 14%. The company blaming supply constraints on that. And it was really those supply chain issues that were in focus for investors there. Apple hasn't given any guidance since the pandemic began, but it expects March to bring in recordly quarterly revenues for the three months up to March. And it was the key comments on supply chain by Tim Cook that were watched. The CEO saying that he expects supply chain issues to ease in the current quarter versus the December quarter. Apple's done pretty well to navigate the supply chain issues at the moment, manages to hit a record revenue in the December quarter. But those comments from Tim Cook talking about the easing of supply chain issues were really what soothed investors. And that's why you saw, Dom, that share price pop overnight. How much of this is also, Arjun, uh, about the reach of the iPhone? Uh, We know that we got some of the the, the news with regard to its market share in China. It's regained the top spot there. How critical is it for? I mean, we've talked a lot about this notion that Apple is trying to diversify itself away from being so dependent on the iPhone. 
yet it still has so much to do with the success of this company. And China is just the latest part of that story, right? You're right, Dom. I'd argue it's central. Look, if you think about the iPhone as this vehicle for Apple to get the device into people's hands and then upsell them on other things, Apple Music, Apple Pay, subscription services. That's why you're seeing this business, this services business. Imagine that $19.5 billion of revenue in a single quarter. That is huge. That's bigger than some companies make in an entire year. And that's because Apple continues to have an install base of over 1 billion devices in the market, allowing them to continue to sell to consumers. And that's why investors are so fixated on the ability for Apple to continue to grow services, whether it be Apple TV, the music, and other services around that. And that's why the iPhone is integral to that story, as well as if you think about some of these peripheral products, the AirPods, the Apple Watch, and what Apple's trying to do, say, in fitness as well. All of this plays into it. But of course, central to all that, Dom, is the iPhone. And that's why Apple needs to continue to innovate on that product. And that's why iPhone 13 has done so well, particularly in China. China is a market where consumers want leading edge. They want 5G. They want the best camera because the market there is so competitive. And what Apple's done this time around with the iPhone 13 is delivered on those. Apple's been guilty in the past in China. I've seen it when I was there uh, of overpricing their phones there and bringing expensive phones to the market with uh, features that just do not match up to what consumers want. But this time with the iPhone 13, particularly in China, they seem to have got it right. Arjun Karpal with the latest on Apple's earnings. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Now to some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao joins us with those. Good Friday morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good Friday morning to you. Dom, well, shares of Robinhood are dropping right now. The newly public brokerage reporting last night. Among the big headlines, the company posting a decline in active users and issuing a disappointing revenue forecast. The company went public in July. Its shares are down about 43 percent this month and roughly 90 percent off their high. Meanwhile, Home Depot naming a new CEO. Current chief operating officer Ted Decker will be promoted to the job as of March 1st. He joined the company in 2000. HD shares are down year to date, but up more than 265 percent since outgoing CEO Craig Manier took over in November 2014. And SoftBank confirming COO Marcelo Claré is leaving the company. CNBC had reported the news of the departure yesterday, with sources saying the two parties had been talking about it for months. Claré has been seen as the right-hand man to SoftBank boss Masayoshi Son. Shares of SoftBank Group rising in Tokyo trading today. Dom? All right, Silvana Hanel, thank you very much for those headlines. When we come back on the show, could investors be getting the Fed story wrong? We'll ask one market strategist and go to the charts for the answers. But first, as we head out to break, check out this morning's biggest Dow movers. You can see there, Apple is probably going to be in that mix right there, as you can see. Visa up 4.5%, Apple up 4%, Salesforce up about three-quarters of 1%. Stay tuned, a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The Nasdaq is trying to avoid a fifth down week in a row, or what would be the longest weekly losing streak since 2012 when it fell six weeks in a row back then. Ahead of the opening bell, here's where we stand. You can see there the Russell 2000 is more than 20 percent below its most recent 52-week high. The Nasdaq and Dow Transportation Indices off more than 15 percent from their all-time highs. And the S&P 500 off more than 10 percent from its record high. The Dow is off 7 percent, so a relative outperformer there. Every major U.S. index is currently trading, by the way, below its long-term 200-day moving average. Let's dig into those technicals with the Northman trader, founder and lead strategist Sven Henrich. Sven, I got to tell you, this has been interesting only because we've been talking so long about this notion that the market was due for a pullback. Is this as bad as it gets or could it get worse? Hi, Dominic. Good to be with you. Well, first of all, let's just be clear what's happened, right? I mean, last year, the Fed was under pressure to actually ease off of the extraordinary stimulus but they kept insisting on transitory and we had this massive blow off in, in equity prices. But underneath, the technicals were deteriorating for the last few months, even though the, the S&P still made a new all-time high in January. So what we're seeing right now is a major technical break on everything. We see also massive damage underneath. Uh, the, you cited some of the equity down moves on the indices. Underneath, it's much, much worse. We're seeing some of the most oversold technical readings we've seen actually in many years. So this is this is a fairly dramatic pullback on 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 the technicals itself. And I think now it becomes basically a game, Fed gaming operation in the, in the months ahead. Do you believe I mean, a, a lot of talk has been out there right now over the last just several days about whether the so-called Fed put is still in place, this notion that if the markets really do fall that precipitously, that the Fed will step in with some kind of accommodative policy, some kind of easing. Is that in play this time? Is the Fed, does the Fed put still exist in your mind? Well, first of all, the Fed put is basically a result of the Fed having acted very specifically on every market drawdown since 2009. The Fed put <clears throat> since then has been between 15 to 22 percent. So let's say 4,100 to 37.50. Now, what is interesting here in terms of the interpretation now going to Fed a five Fed rate hikes this year, I believe it when I see it, because the, all they're doing here is talking. And the, the Fed Chair Powell has actually not committed to anything uh, really on this talk here in, in the last few days. Uh, he's, they're talking about talking and they're going to have a couple more meetings. Ultimately, frankly, what I think is happening here is with all these rate hike expectations being ratcheted up, there's actually a clever Fed put built into the market, because at the end of the day, um, And I said this at the beginning of the year, the easiest way to deal with inflation is to actually let equity markets drop, but not enough that it causes a systemic event. 
And by markets dropping, you're actually tightening financial conditions. And that's exactly what's been happening. I mean, global markets lost $9 trillion in value in the last month, which is fairly significant and it has an impact on the economy. We saw that in 2018 when markets dropped 20%. Guess what happened? Retail sales dropped and the Fed switched policies. I'm not saying they're not going to raise rates. What I'm saying is that as in, as these equity markets have dropped, it's going to take out some of the fluff and some of the excess, and it's going to impact retail sales as well. So over the course of the spring and in this, into the summer, they will be tempted to actually then ease off on, on these expectations, and that then acts as a, a rallying point uh, for for markets. So it's, it's very clever how this is unfolding at this point. So, so Sven, I, so we, we know, you and I both know, and many folks and viewers and listeners out there know that, that trading and investing is much more nuanced, it's much more complex than just a simple, you know, this versus that. But in many parts of social media, it's being <clears throat> boiled down to whether you buy dips or sell rips, so to speak. Are you of the mind right now that the market has deteriorated enough where you can buy on weakness? Or do you feel that there is still a regime where anytime there's any kind of a pop, you should use it as a time to lighten up your positions? Well, it's interesting as these corrections evolve, you got to be mindful of the technical signals. And on the NASDAQ, for example, we are now seeing oversold levels that are worse than during during March 2020. It's pretty intense. Uh, we have other signals that suggest we're actually setting up for a rally. Of course, there's been a lot of technical damage done on, on any rally. You're going to run into major resistance points. For example, right now, the uh, components of the NASDAQ below or the 50MA, it's only 14% are above the 50MA. It's, it's a low point in, in many cases. Uh, but be aware uh, you got to look for pivots of control. Uh, one of them is the daily five exponential moving average on the S&P. We haven't been above it since January 12th. That's currently at 46.70. So we need to see the evidence of the market to start repairing itself and take control of some of these MAs. The other one is the weekly five EMA, which is also higher up. So you're on the bare face until the market can get above some of these MAs and stay above them. And for now, every time we tag one of these MAs, it's been a selling point and we need to see evidence of that behavior changing. And then you can get a bit more confidence that a low is in process of being made. All right. Sven Henrich, the Northman trader. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Sven. Still on deck for the show, why commercial real estate developers can't run to the bank fast enough right now and why the boom in activity could have big implications for the markets and the broader economy. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Today's big number, 38.2%. That was the jump in one-bedroom residential rents in Miami last year, over 2020, according to Zumper's annual rent report. That represents the biggest jump out of all U.S. cities. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Visa. Shares of the credit card company jumping in extended trading after its better-than-expected earnings report. CEO Al Kelly attributing those strong results partly to growth in e-commerce transactions. Kelly also saying he believes the economy will recover despite the current pandemic surge. You can see 4.5% gains for Visa, Dow Component. Now, you got Mondelez, shares of the Oreo maker, amongst others, down after saying it expects to face a larger impact from supply chain issues to its North America segment in the current quarter. The packaged goods giant also saying it expects cost inflation to rise in the highest single digits compared to 2021. Those shares off a little over 2% in the pre-market trade. And finally, Western Digital, shares of the chip company and storage makers sinking on supply chain guidance as well, saying it expects the snags to result in disappointing profitability in the current quarter. Those shares are under pressure despite the company beating on both the profit and the revenue side of things. Western Digital one to watch. Well, it was a record-setting year for sales of commercial property in 2021 as investors bet on ways the pandemic has changed how Americans live and how they work. The biggest threat to even more spending this year could be rising interest rates as the Fed prepares to pull the trigger on its first rate hike since 2018. Let's discuss this further with Spencer Levy, the global chief client officer and senior economic advisor at CBRE, a major commercial real estate company. Spencer, thank you very much for joining us right now. If we talk about this notion, first of all, that rising rates are going to be a headwind for real estate, residential and commercial alike. Why is it that we are seeing so much construction activity right now? It seems as though many parts of the country have cranes everywhere with construction projects going. Well, well, the question my clients ask me almost every day is, do I put the shovel in the ground today or do I wait a year from now when we might see lower inflation? The bottom line is that it's better to put the shovel in the ground today because, yes, inflation is uh, higher than it's been in years. But that's with respect to goods and labor. But the cost of capital is still relatively low. Uh, if you look at the short end of the yield curve, uh, most of our clients, two thirds of our clients are getting short rate debt. Uh, and those that go long, even the 10 year is still relatively low. So I would say to you that Demand is there. There's shortages of housing, shortages of industrial, and the cost of capital is lower today than it will be a year from now. All those factors come together. Makes sense to put the shovel in the ground today. Let's talk about whether or not that leads to bubble-like activity. I mean, there's arguments, are there arguments to be made, Spencer, that there are many parts of the real estate market that are already in a so-called bubble phase right now, that there's a growth rate that cannot be sustainable. Do you feel as though that's the case right now, given all of the boom in the construction market that we've been seeing? I, I don't see that for two reasons. First of all, the one of the great things about the commercial real estate industry is it's somewhat self-regulating with respect to the type of construction you're seeing. Most of the construction you're seeing is in industrial and in multifamily, where we do have shortages based upon demand. Office, where we don't have a shortage based on demand, you're not seeing much office construction. You're not seeing much retail construction. And those are the areas that uh, have weaker demand than the areas I mentioned before. So, no, I'm not worried about a bubble. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at last year, we saw unbelievable rent growth 
in multifamily and in industrial, the areas where we're seeing the most construction, in some cases, in excess of 20%. Now, will that rent growth continue? Certainly not at that level, but we still expect advanced rent growth in 2022 and beyond. How, how, how much of a threat, really, Spencer, is, is rising, uh, rising rates? If you look at this right now, the market's pricing in what was four, now what, what could be five interest rate hikes on that short end that you talked about, this notion here that you could have longer-term debt as well, maybe rising along that side of things. Is it, is it a situation where the real estate market, especially commercial, should be a little bit more cautious going forward, given the fact that we are seeing rising rates? Long-term, rising interest rates, modestly rising interest rates, modestly rising inflation has actually been good for commercial real estate, both for rents and for property values. But the only time I would really be concerned here is if we're wrong on these three, four, five rate hikes, and it's much worse than that. If it gets much worse than that, then you should be concerned. But if it stays in that band, it's a very favorable environment for commercial real estate because by any historic measure, even if the 10-year treasury goes up by 100 basis points, which is about where it will go next year sometime, maybe in the mid-twos, that's still incredibly low cost of capital by any measure. So uh, if inflation goes beyond what we're saying, there may be some cause for concern. But in this three to five rate hike band, uh, it's a very favorable environment. All right. Spencer Levy at CBRE, thank you very much for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend, Spencer. You too. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. We start in Houston where three police officers are recovering after being shot. Officials say it happened last night as they responded to a family disturbance call. 31-year-old Roland Caballero led police on a car chase and crashed. Then a shootout erupted with the officers. Police say the suspect then allegedly carjacked a woman and barricaded himself inside a home. After an hours-long standoff, he surrendered. All three officers were shot, one on the foot, one in the leg, and the other in the arm. In New York, a solemn tribute to a fallen NYPD officer. A police procession carried the casket of 22-year-old Jason Rivera to St. Patrick's Cathedral, where funeral services will be held today. Rivera and his partner, 27-year-old Wilbert Mora, were fatally wounded in a shooting last week. Services for Mora are set for Wednesday. St. Patrick's Cathedral will live stream both memorials on YouTube. Tens of millions are in the path of a winter storm that could overwhelm cities this weekend. A nor'easter is intensifying as it pushes onto the coast. Warnings stretch from North Carolina into Maine. New England is bracing for as much as 20 inches of snow. Plus, you got the risk of damaging wind gusts that could leave people without power in the freezing cold dumps. So, yeah, we're going to have to deal with a whole lot. But you know what? It's on the weekend. No work for most of us, no school. So all we're thinking about as far as the kids is wanting to play in it, but a whole lot of mess that it could create, though. I don't know about you, Francis. My daughter is already beaming about the idea of a possible snow day on Saturday. So we'll see yep. what happens. But anyway, be safe out there. Have a nice weekend, Francis. You too. All right, coming up on the show, we will keep an eye on Apple. Will the Apple a day keep the bears away? A top analyst will react to the tech giant's latest quarterly report. That's coming up next after the break. Apple shares look to be a winner today. The tech giant posting an 11% jump in revenues, topping Wall Street expectations. But can it be enough to save the Nasdaq? The index is on pace for its longest weekly losing streak in almost a decade. Plus, preparing for a weekend nor'easter. Tens of millions of people under winter storm watches right now. It's Friday, January 28, 2022. 
You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chiu in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. Let's get you caught up on the markets right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Let's call it relative stability. The Dow is right now implied lower by roughly 85 points. Meanwhile, the S&P is implied lower by just four points, and the Nasdaq is higher by about 56. The VIX, by the way, the volatility index, hitting its highest level since October of 2020 earlier this week, and has now traded above the 30 level for at least a little bit over time here. So you can see some of the highest levels that we've seen in multiple years. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq are now both in correction territory, so to speak. The Nasdaq is down nearly 18 percent from its high. The index is on pace for its fifth negative week in a row. That would be its worst run since the fall of 2012. We are also watching interest rates very closely. They've been the center focal point for a lot of conversation in the markets. Treasury yields right now with the 10-year note yield just about 1.837%. The two-year note yield 1.214%. On the currency side of things, take a look at what's going on there. The euro is actually now lower against the dollar by a bit. Dollar strength there. Dollar yen, you can see 115 spot 61 dollar strength versus the yen and dollar strength versus the pound as well. 1.3373, the last trade there. Remember, dollar strength has been a key theme for many parts of the market over the last several weeks as well. Energy prices, despite the fact that we are seeing a higher dollar, WTI crude, U.S. benchmark crude, $86.71, one-tenth of 1% gains there. World benchmark ice brand crude futures, $89.52, about two-tenths of a percent gain there. And NAT gas prices, 3% higher. Cryptocurrencies, very much a key focus as well. Right now, Bitcoin prices are higher by roughly 2%, 36,625. Ether, 2403, that's 1.5% gains there. Taking a look at shares of Apple this morning, with shares popping after the company's first quarter earnings report, Apple saw revenue growth in every product category except iPads and reported revenues that were 11% higher compared to last year. That's $124 billion in revenue growth just for one quarter. The company is still declining to offer guidance, citing the uncertainty around the pandemic. But CEO Tim Cook telling our own Julia Borston that the company's supply chain issues are improving and that they would likely improve by the March quarter. Joining us now is Daniel Flax, senior research analyst at Newberger Berman. Uh, Daniel, I wonder if you talk about the overall results. We, 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 we spoke earlier with our reporter Arjun Karpal about this notion that Apple is just a juggernaut, but it's the only the iPad side of things that was was a little weak. What was the key takeaway for you? What was the thing that got you most excited about the Apple report yesterday? Good morning. It was about the continued innovation in what obviously remains a very difficult environment. And this innovation is extending across multiple areas. Uh, iPhone is healthy. Uh, We've seen very strong growth in services, uh, wearables, the watch, AirPods, uh, Mac, uh, with continued innovation there with the M1 silicon. Uh, so, so a lot to like here, and it's it's really this this broadening, and that I think sets the company up well as we think about the next twelve to twenty four months from a growth perspective. What is the next twelve to twenty four months going to be about? Uh, is it going to be a continued focus here on on what's happening with the services side of the business? Uh, It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Amazon as a retail operation. Now much of the focus is on web services. Is the same thing really going to happen and and, and hit full steam 
so to speak, this year with regard to the Apple ecosystem around its app store and, and everything else? In the near term, Dominic, I, I think we're going to see slowing growth driven partly by, by what are very difficult compares, given how strong the business has been throughout the pandemic. But as what, what we see in the March quarter and as we look out through the rest of the year and more importantly into 2023, is that the install base is growing. Uh, the company is delighting users uh, across the product line, even iPad, where it was down due to supply constraints. Uh, the install base is growing and, and, and users are very satisfied. So I would anticipate more of that in, in, in the balance of this year. And then as we look into next year, you'll, of course, uh, continue to have new products that get introduced over the course of this year, which, which ultimately drives growth uh, in 2023 and, and, and I think beyond. And so this is a story, if we step back, about innovation and reinvention. We all remember the iPod uh, about two decades ago. And, and so it attests to the fact that Apple can continue to invent uh, and redefine user experiences, which is ultimately about uh, which is ultimately what drives growth, in my view. So so let's talk about the whole idea of evolution versus revolution. Uh, you know, the iPad, the iPod, all of those, the iPhone, they were all very revolutionary when they were introduced. Now now they are very evolutionary. We've got new versions of them coming out. What is that next big thing? Is it the car? Is it some other fitness type operation? What exactly is it going to be for Apple that you think over the coming years they will want to tell investors to get them very much more excited about the company? I think it's going to be a few things. And, and we actually see signs of it right now. So, for example, if you think about the healthcare opportunity for Apple uh, and, and the fitness opportunity, uh, the watch has a lot of key features like uh, the ECG app or to take an electrocardiogram. Um, you're going to see a, a lot more, I think, in the healthcare space. If you look in the fitness arena, you have Fitness Plus, which really combines uh, different elements. There's the service there. There's, of course, um, you know, the watch again. And so I would expect Apple to extend the healthcare offerings, uh, perhaps into more devices, uh, certainly into more services. And that's really their ability to work with others as well and, and bring a, 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 an innovative experience that in many cases as, as we know from the company, has helped uh, users lead healthier. And in some, case, uh, some cases, it has saved lives. If we look at other areas like augmented and virtual reality, I think Apple has a role to play there over the next several years. What's important, in my view, is that they get the experience right. And what we've seen from the company historically is that they'd rather bring a product to, to market when it's ready rather than rush it out uh, and, and have the user experience be, be uh, anything other than terrific. Uh, you mentioned the car. Uh, I would imagine they, as uh, along with many others, are doing a lot of work around trying to think through what the car of the future looks like. So there's opportunity for them there. But I think if they're able to continue to push these products and these experiences forward, uh, introduce new things, keep users happy, uh, increase the size of the install base, uh, that to me is the key uh, to creating shareholder value over the next couple of years. Apple right now in the pre-market trade is $165 and change. Is it in your mind a relative value or relatively expensive at those levels? I think the stock is attractive here over the next couple of years, and it's driven by the growth. It's driven by the free cash flow generation. We, we look out uh, a lot further and, and see, see tremendous innovation ahead. And so they're not going to be successful, of course, with everything that they do. But if they're able to innovate, create uh, new products, new services that delight users, 
that that in my view is the key and so that that will also translate into into uh revenue growth and free cash flow generation if they're able to do that um i i think there's a significant additional shareholder value to be created all right daniel flax and newberger berman thank you very much for the thoughts on apple we appreciate it coming up on the show this morning's top trending stories including talk of a bomb cyclone a bomb cyclone i always like saying that with regard to weather not sure I want to live through one. And a supply chain issue involving cookbooks falling off a ship. A story you'll need to hear to believe. But first, as we head out to break, a quick look at a, a few of this morning's other big money movers. Shares of Robinhood dropping very large, down about 14% after the brokerage posted a decline in active users and issued a disappointing revenue forecast. Robinhood down 14% pre-market. Home Depot naming a new CEO. Current chief operating officer, Ted Decker, will be promoted to the top job as of March 1st. Home Depot shares flat free market. And SoftBank confirming that Chief Operating Officer Marcelo Clore is leaving the company. CNBC had reported the news of the departure yesterday, with sources saying the two parties had been talking about it for months. Clore has been seen as a right-hand man to SoftBank boss Masayoshi San. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. 33 million people are now under winter storm watches from eastern North Carolina all the way up to New England. NBC meteorologist Bill Karens joins us now with the latest track for the storm. Bomb cyclone. I like saying it, but I don't like living (laughs) through it. Yeah, bombogenesis, bomb cyclone. You'll hear those terms thrown around today. All it means is that we have a really powerful storm developing quickly. That's the only bottom line. And this will be a blizzard. Uh, This will probably be one of our first blizzards we've had in many areas of the Jersey Shore, possibly Maryland, Delaware, and even out in Cape Cod in a couple years. So this is going to be a serious storm. So let's get into the numbers because, yeah, yeah, you just just mentioned those millions of people. That number has just grown exponentially in the last couple hours because of the new advisories go out about this time every morning. And now we're up to 43 million people that are included in either winter storm watches or warnings or blizzard warnings. Obviously, the blizzard warning is the worst crisis. criteria, and that's for the Jersey Shore, Maryland areas, and out on Cape Cod. So what happened overnight is that we got more agreement and that a heavier snow was going to fall on the I-95 corridor, really from Baltimore to Philly to New York City. We're still going to get a ton of snow on Long Island and even out on areas of Cape Cod. So if you look at the blue, that's where we're going to see possibly three to six inches of snow. So Maryland, Delaware, coastal New Jersey, someone could easily get a foot, foot and a half of snow. And the totals out on Cape Cod will easily be the highest, over a foot, easily 18 inches from Boston down to Nantucket, and someone there could get two to three feet of snow. We'll probably get some thunder snow for a period of time Saturday afternoon. And it's not only that, it's going to be a cold snow, so it's going to be a powdery, fluffy snow. The winds are going to gust up to 60 miles per hour from Boston down to the Cape. So the snow is going to be blowing all over the place. It's going to be hard to measure. We'll probably have snow drifts in order of three to five feet in some areas because it's such a light, powdery snow. And now if you're going to get two feet and it's blowing... Someone's going to end up with a lot more on their yards. And as far as the power outages goes, when you get winds, even in the winter without leaves on the trees, you still can get power outages once the winds get above 60 miles per hour. So widespread power outages are possible on Cape Cod, scattered power outages, coastal areas of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and even out on Long Island, we should get some scattered power outages from this. So we're setting the stage today for the big storm later tonight and tomorrow, Dominic. Uh, And the other thing I'll mention The forecast in Miami is 37 degrees Sunday morning. 
People in South Florida are not happy with this storm either. It's not just us in the Northeast. You know, it's funny. I was watching our, our sister network, Golf Channel. I was watching some of the LPGA event down there in, in Orlando. And they were all in puffer jackets, beanie hats, and vests <laughs> and whatnot. I, I mean, this whole phenomenon this, this past week, how long can we expect this extra cold spell to really last for? Is it going to be quite some time or can we, can we get back to more normal winter weather sometime soon? That, that's what's interesting about this storm is this kind of it's the marking point of the end of a really cold period of you know winter weather. Uh, by the end of next week, much of the East Coast is going to be 40s, 50s and 60s. Even New York City could be 50 degrees by Friday of next week. So, yeah, we just have to make it through this storm and uh, we can get a little break from, uh, you know, what's been a pretty harsh winter period. All right, Bill Karens, you'll be working hard this weekend as you do everyone, I'm sure. Thank you very much, Bill. Yeah. Have a nice weekend. Thanks. Now to this, today's top trending stories, which include a possible rideshare deal, ultra-wealthy philanthropy, and some cookbooks lost at sea. Silvana Hinao is here with those trending stories. Silvana. Hey, Dom. Thanks. So we're going to start with the ride-sharing because Uber and Lyft are seeking a legislative compromise with the Teamsters in Washington State. In a push for the type of labor deal the companies have been seeking for years, state house lawmakers are considering a bill that would give ride-hail drivers perks like paid sick leave. While keeping their gig worker status, they would not have to transition to being full-time employees. The world's richest people donated $175 billion to philanthropic causes in 2020. That's according to data firm uh, Wealthex. The headline number was up 4.1 percent compared to 2019 in a year marked by the economic fallout of the COVID pandemic. Comparatively, donations by institutions and public foundations saw an increase of 1.5 percent in their philanthropic giving, about $264 billion donated. No official data yet on 2021, but the report says there is evidence donation levels either remained fairly stable or strengthened moderately. And there are supply chain issues and there are supply chain issues. The entire shipments of two highly anticipated cookbooks are now lost at sea after the cargo ship carrying the books rolled over into the Atlantic Ocean. While waiting to clear congestion in a storm, the ship rolled, losing 65 of the containers it was carrying. The cookbooks by New Orleans restaurant Turkey and the Wolf and the New York Times writer Melissa Clark were stocked in some of those containers and their release dates have been pushed back, Dom. The real definition of supply chain yeah, issues there. Yeah. Sylvan Hanel, thank you very much for you those trending it. stories. On deck for the show, the chicken or the egg. How the market could be telling us something about the economy right now. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back. That is a live shot right now of our friends out in Chicago. A snowy morning right now at 4.51 Central Time. Things just getting going there, but we're going to expect a lot of that snow over here in the Northeast as well, although not from that kind of a system, but still Chicago. Good morning to you. Check out the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index right now. It's down more than 20% from its recent highs in November. This marks the first bear market for the index since March of 2020. The Russell, by the way, tends to be more sensitive to concerns about economic growth, inflation, rising interest rates, which is everything the economy is or may experience in the months ahead as the Fed tightens policy. If you look at the picture overall, though, 
as we do see the pullback happening right now with regard to the Russell 2000, it is broken out of a trading range that we've seen over the better part of the last year. So take a look at the Russell 2000, maybe an indicator, a leading of one of sorts for the broader market. We'll see if that happens. Let's talk more about this now with Emily Bowersock Hill, founding partner of Bowersock Capital, which is part of the Sanctuary Wealth Team. Thank you very much, Emily, for joining us this morning. Let's talk about whether those small caps are important to the overall market narrative, especially in light of the big pullback. Well, I think very important. Uh, And, you know, frankly, I think, can you hear me okay? I think I may be having internet issues. We've got you. We can hear you. Yes, Emily. Great. Okay. So, yeah, you know, the the Russell hasn't struggled all through 2021. So I don't think it's terribly surprising uh, to see them leading the correction here and, and going into a bear market uh, or close to a bear market. Over 40% of the NASDAQ is, you know, down over 50%. So, of course, it's, you know, most people have an allocation to small caps in their portfolio. And retail investors, I think, have a larger percentage than, than the typical investor and certainly than the typical institutional investor. So that will have an impact. All right. If you take a look at the small cap picture, is it, is it, has it gotten to a point now where it's compelling or are there still too many clouds with regard to COVID, new variants, economic impacts, rising interest rates for you to feel comfortable getting into that small mid cap or mid cap side of the market? Emily Bowersock Hill, are you there? I think we've lost her. We're going to try to get her back here. In the meantime, if you take a look at what's happening with the markets right now, the reason why it's important to kind of talk a little bit about whether or not we are seeing a bottoming process play out or not is because we have seen the favorite part of the market, the S&P 500, and then, of course, the NASDAQ really see the biggest pullback. For the largest, the biggest parts now, Since the pandemic lows, we've been focusing very much so on that so-called value trade, economically sensitive stocks in certain industries tied to energy, oil and gas, tied to things like materials, tied to things like industrials that would rebound as the world, not just the U.S., but the world recovers from the COVID pandemic. In that time, you can say that the mega cap technology trade has maybe taken more of a middle to maybe not backseat, but more middle seat to this whole process. But... Since the financial crisis lows that we have seen, it has been the consensus trade and one that many people have profited from over the course of the last 10, 12 years. So whether or not you look at names like Apple or Microsoft or Amazon or Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook or Tesla, many of those stocks have been kind of indicative of that kind of mega cap value trade there. Also watch what's happening right now, of course, with Apple shares as part of that story because of the earnings report that will help the Dow. It's up three and a half percent right now. Also check what's happening, though, with interest rates, because they are center to the conversation that we are having about whether or not the market pullback is one that's driven by fears of growth and rising interest rates. The 10-year note yield currently is taking just slightly higher, 1.84%, the last trade there. Also, in the commodity complex, overall, oil prices have been elevated seven, eight-year highs for world benchmark Brent crude. Right now, you can see their world benchmark crude, $86.96 also, ice Brent crude futures, $89.80, both up by about a half of 1%. On the currency side of things, it has been all about dollar strength, at least for the last few weeks. The euro, the dollar yen, the pound, you can see all of the action there has seen that kind of movement. So keep an eye on those. And by the way, cryptocurrencies 
have been maybe the most volatile. Watch Bitcoin prices and Ethereum as well as as well as some of the smaller altcoins, Ripple, Solana and others like that. Keep an eye on those. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange on this Friday morning. The markets are stable for now. We'll see if it stays that way. Squawk Box picked up the market coverage. They are coming up next. Have a nice weekend. Stay clear of that bomb cyclone. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.